I think when people come here, what they're hoping for is just the gift of another person who will accept them completely as they are and who will love them completely as they are and that they're going to in turn be able to love that person back. I moved to Dublin in the year 2000, which sounds like it's in the future, but actually it's in the past. I spent a lot of time exploring the city on my own, going to museums and libraries and churches. You know, the kind of thing every well-adjusted, popular 19-year-old does their first year in college. That's how I came across loads of odd little things hidden away in Dublin, especially in the churches. In Christchurch Cathedral, I saw the skeletons of a rat and a cat on display. The theory is the cat chased the rat into the organ pipes and they both got stuck and they both died and then they were mummified. The best thing I found was in Whitefriars Church on Anger Street. There's an altar devoted to St Valentine in one corner of the church. A big statue of him and candles that you can light all around, draped with a heavy red velvet cloth that says in gold lettering, St Valentine, listen. Underneath the altar is a glass case. There's a sturdy little treasure chest inside it. And inside that, there's a sealed wooden box. And inside that box are St. Valentine's bones. Some of them anyway. Alongside a glass vial supposedly tinged with his blood. They're relics given to the church by Pope Gregory XVI in 1836. There's also a notebook, a simple soft cover notebook that people write to St. Valentine in. They put their prayers down on paper, asking for what they need, telling him their secret hopes or fears. It's all there in the pages and anybody can read it. When I first read the book, the quiet Catholic church I was standing in suddenly filled up with the most romantic, dramatic, hopeful and private moments of people's lives. I couldn't quite believe it existed. A young couple, a very young couple, um, I would say late teens, and they were they were they were non-nationals, and both of them extremely handsome looking, and the two of them were just in front of the altar here, and the two of them holding hands, and the two of them tears streaming down their faces, both of them, the boy and the girl. So you see, it definitely exists. Father Brian McKay puts it there. He's sort of in charge of the book, replacing it when it's full and storing all the old ones upstairs. I'm a bit jealous of his job. I mean, imagine getting these glimpses into people's lives and hearts pretty much every day. I longed to interfere, but I didn't. And I was just wondering, were they, were they desperately in love with one another? I suppose they were, actually. Were they after having a row and it made up? But whatever it was, there was huge emotion. And, and they were in front of Valentine, and Valentine was obviously helping them to come to terms with whatever it was was bothering them. I would love to have spoken to them, but I just felt this was, this was intimate. There were, there were the two of them and there was Valentine, and there wasn't really, there wasn't really room for anybody else. If they wrote in the book, did you, were you tempted to come and look in the book after they left? I was, but um, they, they, they looked, I would say, they were, either, they were either Spanish or Italian, I would think. And so what, what they wrote in the book, I don't have either Spanish or Italian, I'm afraid. <laughs> so um, intriguing though it was, I couldn't read it. <laughs> it's weird that in all the time I've been coming into the church and reading the book, I've barely seen anybody actually write in it. I've always wondered what sort of people write to Valentine. 
all sorts, sizes, shapes and conditions of human beings. And because we get we get people young and perhaps people not so young and people who are in love and people that people hoping that they might be in love and people looking for a partner and people hoping that the partner they already have will stay with them. So the love dimension is always there. There's someone who's gotten engaged. Valentine, we dear, on the 29th of August at your shrine, please watch over us and watch all our studies. Sorry, and is that right? And take care of all our studies in the yeah, coming in the year. year. Yes, uh, which is lovely. And you see, yeah. you notice that we got engaged here on the 29th of August. Mm. Um, it, it, could, it could very well imply, the, wor- the wording seems to imply that it was actually in front of this yeah, shrine so. that, they, that they got engaged. And you see, that's, that again is not unusual here. I wonder if it is unusual to be some girl who's been silently reading the book for 13 years, imagining the lives of the people who write in it. I'm mortified to say there was a time when I thought I was like Amelie, you know, from the film, really quirky and adorable, knowing all these secret cute things. And then I brought this guy I was seeing into the church to show him the book. He wasn't Irish or Catholic, so maybe the whole church thing spooked him. Or maybe it was the bones and blood thing. Also, we weren't even together that long at the time, so it could have been the whole true love thing. Whatever it was, he was pretty uncomfortable. And that experience made me feel terrible. Like maybe it wasn't fair to come traipsing in and showing off the book whenever I felt like it. I sometimes wonder do people realise that, that there may be somebody else reading these, but I suspect they know that. Um, that part, part of writing it is that their story is um, for anybody that, that might be interested, either maybe to get a little bit of encouragement themselves or um, to realise that there is, there is true love to be found and, and St Valentine is your only man. When I first found the notebook almost 13 years ago, I thought it was charming and sweet, but I was sceptical. I just couldn't believe people were so focused on finding love. I remember thinking, I would never be so desperate to find a boyfriend that I'd come into a church and write prayers in a notebook to a statue. Them now are, um, like, help my children in their relationships. Mm. Um, help Joan and me. They are kind of relationships. Please pray for my husband. Help him see we love him. I want it, us all to work as a family. Mm. They're quite... Um... There you are. There's an interesting one. Please ask God for a holy husband for... And the person's name that's put in. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's again, it's, I suppose people have, when they come to St. Valentine, they've already got a certain... Um, idea of the partner that they're looking for mm. and uh, so they ask they ask Valentine is there any chance you know that, that you can actually help me find the right person mm-hmm. not, not just any person you know but the, <laughs> the right one In the years since I first found the book I've been bruised falling off my high horse and I recovered and I learned and I had a ball and I hope I got some empathy along the way I feel like something shifted in me when I reached my 30s and I began to understand the need for some kind of long-term body system in life. You know, a partner. Although I really hate the word partner. It's too grown up, it's too businessy. Like, we initially merged in the first quarter and we shared the same corporate values and I offered him a buy-in. 
anyway, partner is not the ideal word, but I hope you know what I mean. I mean like this invisible pull towards something like, not to put too fine a point on it, but true and everlasting love. I came back to Whitefriars Church and back to Valentine's Notebook with even more curiosity. I wanted to find the people who write in it and ask them why and what exactly they were looking for and of course whether or not they'd found it. I sat on the back pew with the microphone and waited for people. At the start it was fine, I felt like I was on a stakeout, but hardly anyone came along in the three days I waited and the ones that did didn't want to talk to me. I gave up after one man pretended his phone was ringing and literally ran away. But I couldn't stop thinking about the book and all the stories in it and the people behind them. So I put a notice with my contact details on the altar, asking people to share their experience of the notebook, but not holding out much hope that anybody would. I was ready to play the long game. Sure, I was hoping somebody would call, but I was cool about it. My friends would ask if there'd been any contact and I'd shrug and say no, but it's no big deal. I called in to Father McKay, casually. He said there were plenty of people writing the book. I said, oh, good. And I checked that I'd put the right phone number on the notice. I had. I waited, and then I waited so long I got distracted by other things. But I still thought about the notebook right before I fell asleep every night. Eventually, I just stopped waiting. And then one day, I got a missed call from a private number. I assumed it was my credit card company calling about overdue fees, but it wasn't. You have one new voice message. It was way better than that. Good morning. Just calling in connection with your sign on the shrine of St. Valentine in Whitefire Street. And if you wish to call me, my name is Jacinta Marr. I should explain that I was so excited to finally meet someone who wrote in the book that I was kind of yelling at Jacinta when we met in the doorway. Then she lowered her voice because we were in a church. So I followed her lead and lowered mine even more and then she lowered hers again. So that's how we came to stand whispering in front of Valentine. It's funny if a morning, you know, if you go to write in the book and um, somebody comes along and they see you write back, you know, right. and wait till you're gone. <laughs> it's ghastly. And when you're gone then you see them kind of going up to do their little piece you know so it really is I think for people too although they're writing in a book that's quite public it's very private you know what I mean as well I don't know who I was expecting but I was surprised because Jacinta was like a cool business lady she'd just come from her job in a city centre bank and she looked so glamorous and she was wearing a wedding ring well I think most people an awful lot of people with regard to the shrine at St. Valentine, I think it's to meet a partner, to meet somebody, you know. And a lot of what would be written in the book would be that. Then a lot of people pray for maybe marriages that are in trouble. Huge amount of that too. And again, St. Val, I think people just, you know, he's the man of love. That's the way I always think of him anyway. And have you, so you write in the book? Yes. What have you written in the book? Uh, Of course, that my marriage, I mean, I'm 30 years married and I have a really happy marriage and that it will always be like that for maybe whatever time left and that the boys would follow in that. They'll always have a lovely relationship, happy, content and kind to each other. Do 
Do your sons know that you race? No. I'd be shot. <laughs> Absolutely, they go mad. Jacintha was so at home in the church. She drops into Mass most mornings before work and writes regularly in Valentine's book. I think I felt so comfortable talking to her about the notebook and about St. Valentine because it's all just so familiar to her. I mean, she even abbreviates his name. I'd have no doubt in my mind that Val found in the partners that they have and that they're the way they are. Yeah, definitely. No question about it. If you pray, if you pray it, okay, pray your request, I think writing it down just intensifies that message that you want to get across to the particular saint, i.e. Valentine. Listen, I really want this. I really need it. It intensifies. That's the word I would use. The feeling that's inside and that you really want this to happen. I just think it's really nice when you're, you know, there's so many marriages in trouble today and really, you know, I work with people and it's, it's tough. So I think if you have happiness at all in a relationship, it's just such a wonderful, it's the basis for everything. It helps you through and you can get through, you can move mountains with it. So I think it's hugely important, do you know, to have sort of love in your life. Where did you meet your husband? And um, <laughs> That's a funny one. I met my husband by going to a do with another guy. <laughs> yeah, and through the night, um, my husband came into the room and just sat down because he knew the guy that I had gone to the the dance with. And uh, the guy that I went to the dance with went off for smokes or the loo or whatever, and we just got chatting. And um, he asked me, could he see me again? And I said, yeah. And he said, the weekend? And I said, yeah. Because the guy I went to the do it, we were more friends anyway. It wasn't kind of anything underhanded. Now, I have to stress that. <laughs> so we met um, the following weekend on a Sunday night. And it was the beginning of a wonderful relationship. And it just turned out coincidentally down the road in the past, my mum and dad and his mum and dad had been friends which we absolutely knew nothing about. And just one night I went to the house and there was a photograph on the mantle of my mum and dad and his mum and dad and some other people. So, yeah, so really, my mum and dad were quite happy. <laughs> and likewise. So it all, um, so that was it. And we're together ever since, as I say, coming up now in October, uh, 30 years. Next message received at 10.40. Hi, Maeve. I saw you at the St. Valentine's Shrine, and I'd like to tell you about my aunt. Thanks, Leanne. Whitefire Church is on Angel Street, a busy street, loads of traffic and a constant flow of people. It's between a youth hostel and a charity shop. There's a gym further up the road, and it's just across from a Turkish restaurant and a newsagent and a wedding dress shop. At the top of the street is a big DIT building and Leanne saw my notice the day she dropped into the church after registering for college there. My granny used to come to this church so then I kind of just pop in when I'm in town because she's dead but do you know it just kind of reminds me of her and um, it's just a nice place to kind of come in and get a bit of quiet time. I knew that the shrine was up there and the book was there and it just looked kind of sweet and then I told my aunts who are kind of like in their in their mid-40s they're kind of panicking about 
finding love and starting a family. So I told them about it and they were like, yeah, lash up the candles there. <laughs> Did you ever write in the book for yourself? Um, more for like my aunts, but like I have a boyfriend, so things are going well. So I don't need, I just want him to keep it, keep it going, but there's no emergency there. So. When did you start writing the book and not um, ages were your aunties then? Probably, I don't know, three years ago when I came up to Dublin. So, um, so they're mid forties now. What do you ask for in the book? Um, just that they'll, um, just be happy and because they, they, they want to be mums and, and so I hope like that comes around to them because, you know, time is running out. So. <laughs> and it was successful with one. She has, she has married a divorcee and they have a baby together, so she's delighted. So at her wedding, she did thank everyone for their prayers and their candles to get her, her, her new man, so she was very thankful. <laughs> Do you believe that it made a difference that you were writing the book and lighting candles and asking Valentine... Do you think it made a difference to that aunt and not the other one, or what do you think about um, that? Well, the the one that's happy now, she she'd be more open, and you know she didn't, you know she made a divorcee and and she didn't mind. That was fine, you know, because you know everyone has a past at that age, so it's fine. Whereas the other one, she'd be more picky, and and she has a long list of things that he has to be. So divorcee or or our previous children or chubby or bald or any of those things just do not suit her. So I think she's narrowed herself out of the market really. For sure, we'll keep trying for her. Hearing about Leanne's aunt's list of no-nos made me wonder if I'm too fussy. I mean, a man who's over five foot tall with a full driving licence? Someone with a lisp and a scar? This impossible creature willing to eat every sultana I pick out of banana bread? Could he exist? Who knows? Maybe I'll ask Valentine for help. Do you believe in it, do you? Um, yeah, any, any help is, is good help, I think. <laughs> Obviously, I'm, I'm born on St. Valentine's Day, so, you know, oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a bit of a, a relationship there. Uh, is that, you, you don't have, your middle name's not Val or anything it, like that? It is Valentine, is yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> I can only thank my parents for not calling me Valentine, so uh, so that's that's a good thing about it, you know. So um, I have one friend of mine who, who, uh, who, who's a school friend who, who lives in The Hague in Holland now, and he still calls me Valentine, you know, so <laughs> I think it's more of a slag than anything else. When I heard from Alan, a college lecturer and a regular contributor to The Notebook, I couldn't get over the fact that he was born on St. Valentine's Day. I think when it came into maybe, you know, teenage years, you know, being, having your birthday on Valentine's Day was a bit of a novelty, you know, and did you get how many Valentine's cards did you get versus how many birthday cards did you get, that kind of thing, <laughs> you know. So, um, and, um, no, it, it had no real, yeah. real relevance, you know, um, I suppose, as I say, the only relevance that I can remember it 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 becoming in my life was, as I say, last year when um, it just seemed to open up a channel for me uh, through uh, through that. And it's interesting. Every um, every note that I write is dear Saint Valentine, and I often wonder, well, why am I saying dear Adele or hi Adele or something like that? You know. So, um, um, but I um, but I always start off the same sentence and then I say uh, then I go into you know speaking to Adele almost uh, okay. in, in the you know in the first person as such Alan said he saw the notice I'd left on the altar many times the one asking people to get in touch and tell their stories about Valentine's book 
but he had to really think about it before deciding eventually to do so. In, um, so just to go back, you know, Adele was healthy, well, very fit. And then in October uh, 2010, she developed um, a, a bad back pain. And um, by Christmas 2010, it was still there. She had had a, a scan and nothing showed up and she was on pain treatment and you know, anti-inflammatory treatment, that kind of thing. Um, uh, then Christmas came and went uh, and then we, we went um, on a skiing holiday in February 2011 and she couldn't ski. And uh, we came back and she went back to her doctor and they went and sent for another scan. On the 22nd of March, our doctor our call, our, our, uh, called us, our GP called us to meet us immediately together. And nine days later, she was diagnosed with liver, bone and lung cancer. Out of the blue, like just, you know, uh, nut stuff, you know. So she was in a, in a hospital. The Blackrock Clinic became her second home almost for those six months. Then in July, she got a kind of bit of a reprieve and they said, you know, we possibly don't want to see her for three months and we were... We were delighted. We, we thought the cancer had gone away. And then uh, September, October 2011, the, the cancer came back very aggressively in our bones. But at this stage, you know, I, I had to have a meeting with the, uh, in private with the consultant and so on. And, you know, he gave me a kind of a fairly definitive um, roadmap that didn't read well at all. She really, really struggled through Christmas. Uh, and um, in January 2012, last year, she went back into the Blackwood Clinic for the uh, for you know another session of chemotherapy, and at that stage they 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 called me aside and said, look, we just have to stop the chemotherapy at this stage. It's just doing her more harm than good, and um, and effectively, you know, they they sat down and told uh, Adele that uh, she had eighteen months to live, and um, and and that was it, and um, there's nothing more they can do for her. So we left the Blackrock Clinic and we were put under the care of uh, the hospice in Harles Cross, magnificent organisation. Um, she was an outpatient, she, she was at home, so they, they visited our house three times a week. Uh, you know, one, one morning she, was, uh, she just woke up and she could hardly breathe. And that was the 1st of February, I, I, I drove, I remember I drove down Foster's Avenue, coming from Rathfarnham where we live, and I knew in my heart and soul this was the last time I'd be driving down. Uh, Foster Avenue with Adele in the car and uh, then she was uh, six, seven days in, in hospital and she passed away on Wednesday the 8th of February, 20 to 1 in the morning But yeah, so I mean like I start coming here just like, you know lighting a few candles, saying a few prayers doing a bit of crying uh, in, in private and then, then I saw the notebook and, and then uh, that's about a year ago. You, you know, the first time you, you, you write in it, you automatically skip back a few pages and see what everyone else is writing. And, um, you know, th there's a lot of sadness obviously going on in it, but there's also a lot of um, people writing to say, well, uh, dear St. Valentine, uh, let's hope I can win the lottery to save me from the recession or, or you know, similar type stuff. Which yeah, you can... there's a weight loss one in there at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's, there's um, um, there was one I read yesterday uh, when I was here about, um, dear St. Valentine, can, uh, can you please, um, um, you know, inspire, uh, I presume it was a boyfriend, I won't name the name, uh, to bring me to the pictures tonight, and that we can we can go out together, you know. So, yeah. so there's a, there's 
that kind of stuff going on as well at, 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 at what I call the lower level, if you like. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if anyone's doing what I'm doing. And I'm not saying I'm unique, unique at all. It just, uh, it just works for me in relation to um, being able to tell Adele, you know, uh, what, what I'm doing, how uh, our daughter Neve, who's, who's 11, how she's doing in school and her new teacher and, you know, whatever, you know, her piano and blah, 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 all the bits and pieces and how she's doing. And, you know, when we visit her grave, you know, say we, we clean the grave up. found it that it is the only really communication channel that I've been able to open up and uh, um, freely write. If the truth be known, I, I could write pages and pages and pages. Why do you think that, like, you know, you know, it's a really good question, Maeve. Um, I think um, there's a certain um, box you walk into when you come into this, this place and it uh, encloses you into a, f a, a, a mindset or a framework in your mind that, that enables you to uh, open up. It almost acts as a catalyst uh, to, to doing what you want to do. When you go home, you got to make the dinner, you got to do the homework, you got to answer the phone, whatever, you know, you're into real life. Um, I suppose, well... <clears throat> From a home perspective, um, you know, doing it here, you're, you're outside the environment of, of, of home. You're outside the environment of where we were both very happy, uh, where we both lived, where we both built a home, family. And um, so, so sometimes it's difficult to do those things there. And I think it's interesting that I'm writing in what is effectively a public notebook. And it's, it's like really private stuff. Like it's, it's like heart. It's really from the heart stuff, you know, so... I think that's interesting, um, the fact that I'm doing it, you know, and, and why, um, why I keep coming back again and again, you know. Strange, strange. There's been very few things I found helpful in, in you know, helping me dealing with with what, with what I've, what I've uh, dealt with since um, Adele's passing. And, you know, I suppose the most difficult thing to deal with is the fact that it's just not fair, she should still be here. Um, but here, when you come to here, it's... I'm reluctant to call it escapism, because I don't think it is, but it is certainly an escape of... or from... Um, the the usual inverted commas the usual way of grieving, and it's it's worked for me as something different and something uh, tangible, because <clears throat> all day long, I you know in general you know I, I do my bits and pieces of work I do whatever I have to do with, with Neve I I you know do the shopping do the housework whatever whatever, and all that time at some stage in and out you know Adele is coming in and out of your brain the whole time, so. Um, but it's 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 flighty, yeah. Okay, when you lie down in bed, maybe and you're you know sitting down in 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 the sitting room with a glass of wine in your hand, contemplating life and all that. She's there and all, and, and you're, you're thinking about her and you're wondering why and the ifs and the whats and what if and we should have done this and we should have done that and we shouldn't be working so hard and we shouldn't have, you know. And you you all excuses. But coming in here, 
you can actually you can actually you can actually put things down on paper in in a setting that lends itself to speaking to somebody. Death changes everything, you know. It, 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 and losing a loved one changes everything in your life. It changes perspective. It changes depth. It changes uh, vision. It changes uh, priorities. I think a lot of, you know, um, mediums or catalysts that people use for uh, bereavement therapy are surrounded around. You know, outside of normal counselling now, outside of bereavement counselling, outside of thing, but they, they use hypnosis. They use, um, um, you know, psychics. trans and trans, yeah, psychics and transcendental meditate, all that kind of stuff. You know, meditation and and uh, means to to uh, transpond with with their loved ones. You know, and this is not that. You know, I think it's very important to note that I don't think this. There's no magical heebie-jeebie around this. You know, it's just. For me, it's a personal channel uh, to uh, to Adele uh, through the medium of. I'm not sure it's through the medium of St. Valentine or is it through the medium of White Forest Street. I think it's a bit of both, you know, for me. I can still talk and relate and, you know, be with Adele as, as much as I can. Yeah, there'll always be a a hole in my heart uh, but it's you know grief and management of grief and grieving is all about um, just managing the hole you know so that you don't fall into it and also turn grief into something good you know I don't know is this turning grief into something good I'm not sure I think it is you know I think it is but there's some weeks I'm here like and, and, and you you know, maybe you, you, you look back and this is at the end of the notebook. And even even though you look back and you were here maybe two weeks before that, you can't find your note. So there's a huge amount of people using this, you know, for whatever reasons. Um, and um, Do you ever meet anyone else who's writing the book? No. Uh, every time I come here, there's no one here. You know, here. And that's not because it's five o'clock in the morning. It's always, you know, ten o'clock in the morning, kind of on the way into work kind yeah. of thing, you know, so... Flip through the pages. So here it is. Here, there isn't much stuff since yesterday. Oh, there is a bit. Yeah. Do you want to read the whole thing? Yeah, if you don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind you. So I always start off with saying, "Dear Saint Valentine's, can you keep Adele warm and make sure that she is comfortable?" Um, because it, she she loved being warm. <laughs> she loved she loved her her heat, you know. Because uh, I didn't. I loved the cold, you know. So it was always a. <laughs> Uh, bone of contention um, Adele it seems to be getting harder and harder the feeling of not having you around I notice that I can cry a lot easier these days and sometimes the slightest thing will set me off I really want to turn back the clock and make you better and take you away on a holiday to Donegal where we can reshape our lives I found it very difficult to sleep last night as I was quite upset thinking a lot about the night you died I cannot understand why this happen, happened to you. It's just not fair. Your old school has nominated uh, a girl to take up 
your scholarship and I'm meeting with the principal on Friday uh, to arrange to meet the girl. I'll just explain that. The, the old, Adele's old school, which is the Assumption College in Walkinstown and Dublin Business School, where she worked for 16 years um, together, created a scholarship in her name. There was a sign on the shrine over the past month asking people to share their thoughts and experiences of the St. Valentine's Notebook on a radio programme. So after some thought, I decided to email RTE Radio my story about how I feel that I can communicate with you through St. Valentine's Notebook. I'm not sure if it is the right thing to do, but you know me, good feelings. Neve is good. She's going for election to the Student Council. I'll let you know how she... How that goes. Chat soon, honey. Love, Alan. Hearing Alan reading and getting upset made me upset, and I just froze. Now, I wish I would have put my arm around him or told him I was sorry or something, but instead I just stood there and I couldn't talk. I'm sure at this stage Alan is used to people not knowing what to say. He told me he cries all the time after he writes in the book, but he feels better afterwards. But I still feel like my silence was not ideal. From a human point of view, obviously, and more practically, from a radio point of view. Eventually, I got my voice back and I asked Alan how he met Adele. I was uh, working in, uh, for uh, an organisation in Germany, in, in Nuremberg, and I was contacted by a company in Ireland who were interested in hiring me. And I came back for Christmas in 1994, and I had an interview with them, and I got the job. And um, Adele was the financial controller for the company. As, as part of the interview process, I met her because she was a, you know, she was a serious figure in the company. And um, there was an instantaneous. Uh, spark. She didn't interview you for the job, did she? No, no, she didn't. No, <laughs> she no. But she, she uh, I met her after the interview, and uh, okay, yeah. you know, and she gave me a tour of the, uh, the building actually, and uh, you know, around the various warehouses and parts of the building. It was a distribution, uh, cash and carry distribution company, and uh, so. Um, you know, and she and she would have heard of me in the trade, like she would have known my name and such in the trade. And uh, so she's all inquisitive about what I was doing in Germany and did I have a girlfriend and all that kind of stuff, you know. So <laughs> she asked you that. On the I, th- I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, I think that's like illegal. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah, but she, it was just a more of a yeah, casual conversation, though, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but she was fishing. She was fishing. You know, yeah, yeah. She's a clever girl now. Tell you, she's a clever girl. You know. <laughs> And then for the three months that uh, I went back to Germany, I had to work, work my three months' notice between December and, and March 93, 95, sorry. And um, there was a, we, we kept in touch by phone. And uh, if the, I remember the phone, I was on the phone for hours in my apartment in Nuremberg. It cost me a fortune. Um, but I knew before I came home that we were made for each other, you know, it was love at first sight and all that kind of stuff, you know. So that's how we met, yeah, and, and then, uh, you know, we were, I suppose, going out with each other for three, four years, I don't know, I forget. 
and I got married in 1999. So January 99, yeah. So uh, all all good stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Real, real, real love story, you know. So. Yeah. 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 So it was good. It was good. Yeah. Most people write in the book asking Valentine to help them find true love. But Alan did find his true love, but then he lost her. And that loss, that total heartbreak on another level, that's ahead of everybody who truly loves somebody else. Yet that love, that full on deep end, big real love that knocks you out when it's gone, that's exactly what people are praying for. And I thought about how brave that is to seek that love out, to do anything to find it, even write prayers in a notebook to a statue. 